Hi, and welcome to Third Waves. Third is an intersectional publication celebrating culture, heritage, and diversity. On Third Waves, we do the same. I'm Rona, stylist, creative director, and founder of Third. I'm Daniela. I'm a writer, musician, and producer. And I'm uh, Chima, a guest host, and I'm a writer and filmmaker. On this episode of Third Waves, we will centre our discussion around the thought of self-reflection. It's a good time for doing that as we are getting towards the end of the year and as it's also going to be the last episode of the show for this year, we thought we'd also reflect back on some of the things that Third has been up to. We launched a new issue of the magazine this year around the theme of access and to quote Rona's introduction, It was a response to a world that is increasingly capable of acknowledging privilege and systemic structures which make it hard for some to achieve the same goal as others. So this issue is an investigation and celebration of those from communities at the margins who are taking up space in industries we're not used to seeing them. As part of the launch for that, we held two events at Tate Modern. One was a voguing workshop and the other was entitled Not Another Diversity Panel. So in the spirit of reflecting back, we will actually play some of the audio excerpts from those events and unpick some of the things that were discussed around this very topic of self-reflection, as we feel that it really encapsulates a lot of what Third tries to put out there in the world and hopefully help us find ways of moving forward into new times. We will hear the voices of many guests on this episode, including poet Roshni Goyete, founder of The Other Box, Poet Kai Isai Jamal, who's part of Babes London, creative powerhouse Michael Mikey J. Asante, co-founder of Boy Blue Entertainment, house father Darrell West of the House of West, and also in here in the studio with us today, poet Chima Ensedo, who is one of the sole editors of Third Magazine. So self-reflection is our topic for this episode and we have with us Chima, who's a serial editor of the magazine. Hey Chims. Hello, how are you? Chims, what have you been up to this year? Um, Self-reflecting, amongst other things, I'm joking. Um, (laughs) um, Looking for work, finding it and trying to keep it. (laughs) Love it. And trying to work and trying to write as well and trying to kind of like, yeah, trying to save money Make, maybe make films in the future. Yeah, I'm just in that point where I'm trying not to let, um, uh, trying to have this like work-life creative balance finish stuff. Well, so it's, it seems like you've been thinking a lot about this whole period of transition, which is a nice sort of segue into our topic today, which is obviously self-reflection. For me, self-reflection is something which I do I would say I do or include in my my life regularly. Um, it's something I see as almost being quite crucial to my personal development. And I see it as almost like the check-in I have with myself about how I keep my life in balance, all these different like areas and um, aspects of my life from like career to health to like social life. Uh, self-reflecting is how I keep all those sort of toggles in tuned almost 
if you ask anybody, oh, do you do you do self-reflection? It would be a really strange question because, you know, you are thinking about stuff is kind of happening in your head. I think part of what we're talking about here maybe is about being very intentional about it and, you know, not to get too much into the, the whole meditation, mindfulness thing, which everyone is like so in vogue to talk about and do. Mm. I wanted to ask, like, how often do you do you make a point of there are moments in the day or in the week where you're like, I'm going to spend a moment with myself and think about X, Y, Z. Um, yeah, I mean, through the way I self-reflect, I do that weekly. Mm. End of the week, one of the things I do is I think about, like, five things I've I've done that week. Um, like, it's almost like mini achievements and also, like, a few things that I, I thought I was going to do that I didn't do. Um, and I also write down like reflections or comments about how the week has been for me mentally, like how my energy has been that week. Um, That's so good. It's yeah. very structured. How about you, Jima? Uh, um, I just, I, no, I don't do that. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I do something similar. Um, I do like a, I do. Um, what's the book called? The Artist Way. But what I do cool. is like a, it's, it's called Morning Pages. So you get up in the morning. Oh, and yeah. you just write three pages of whatever. Do you do that every day? I try and do that every day. That's amazing. Um, but what I've been, but I, I try to get up and write every day, every morning. Recently, I've been trying to like write an outline for something for an idea that I've got. So I've been spending my mornings doing that. But what I find is just even doing that and reflecting on that idea just kind of frees up my head afterwards. Kind of. Um, <laughs> Just writing stuff down does make you feel a lot less congested. Mm. Well, it makes me feel a lot less congested. Um, so, yeah, from very, very emo stuff about how I'm feeling and whatever to sometimes very, like, technical stuff about how, how can I make the sentence sound be- better. Um, I see a difference in myself when I don't write in the morning or when I don't write that week. It's a, I see a difference. And writing is a, is a form of reflecting, to be honest. You, you are kind of, like, just, like, bringing up stories and putting them down on page uh, on a page so yeah yeah it's really interesting um but it's not as as specific as 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 what you do rona it's not as kind of maybe i should try that maybe i will try Mm. that i mean mine is like almost quite regimented it might it might not always be a sunday but it would usually be like a sunday or monday or like a tuesday by stretch but i make sure like it's like one of the things i make sure i do every single week and um in a weird way, maybe because my, my time, my schedule is so variant, like having this one thing which is like almost fundamental, like has to be done, maybe that helps keep me on track um, because I almost have to like monitor or like manage myself. Mm. Um, what would you say, Daniela? What do you do? What do, you do? Um, well, hearing both of you talk about your routines, I feel like I don't do nearly enough. Um, I, I think maybe my version of that would be uh, taking these moments when I when I look at something. Um, I don't know, I try, like, making sure that I, I always look at the sky and the mm. sunsets and how the light catches on the buildings. And it, it, it kind of just comes from a place of, like, not wanting to take beauty for granted especially yeah. when you live in a city i think you know if you're going out hiking in a mountain or whatever it's very easy to be like oh this is so beautiful i'm gonna yeah, take it yeah, in yeah. but there is beauty in the city as well and so like those moments are my moments of taking it by taking that in i'm also i think channeling some thoughts of gratitude yeah. and um yeah i think that's probably 
the closest that you have to um, this, yeah, this kind of habitual self-reflection. I think for me, actually, something that I'm doing is just writing lists all the time of the things that I want to do in my day or week, including fun stuff. Mm. And that I feel like is the opposite of the thing of like looking back and be like, oh, this is the thing I did well. And no, no. it's like, because it's constantly chasing mm. uh, things that I want to get done. And it's not, isn't, I don't know, kind of. Um, I also do that. I think the two work in tandem almost, mm. you know what I mean? Especially mm. what you said about like making sure that the things that are, are on those on that list is not just like work, it's also like fun stuff. Mm. Because mm. that's how you almost um, keep the balance True. if you can to your life. I mean, like, I think um, balance can almost be like a bit deceptive in a weird way because sometimes some moments in your life you might just be super hectic and your your priority might just have to be work um but yeah it's it's a good way to check in with yourself if you're also making sure that your life is also appearing on that list i thought it was really interesting Jim, when you said about how you really feel the difference between when you when you do write in the morning or when you don't mm. um it reminded me of this episode of rick and morty where um the family goes for therapy and rick is just absent um and and eventually he comes to the session and he and he sort of say oh i don't have time for this this is like not like you're not giving me anything mm. and the therapist says something to the effect of um like I mean this is like specific to the show and the character right but she says something along the lines of like well obviously this is boring for you like for someone with your intellect doing therapy is probably like brushing your teeth or wiping your butt but you still have to do it as maintenance mm. if you don't do that maintenance your body will fall apart just as like and I found that such a good metaphor yeah, this yeah, thing yeah. this idea of maintenance and upkeep and how it is a thing that you have to intentionally do otherwise you deteriorate from yeah, that, from that. not doing it mm. yeah that's that's wicked mm. i think that's beautiful um i think we also do that in the opposite way as well um i think without even thinking we do things that destroy our state of mind or like our, our but we just sometimes don't even think about it we just do it uh whether it be falling into the same type of relationship patterns or smoking or mm. or whatever like those kind of addictive tendencies that we can't control like I, I i i didn't choose writing to be something that i did to make me feel more um centered do you know what i mean it's just something mm. that i do that makes me feel i didn't i didn't like wake up one day and say this is what will make me feel more centered is and also my um my bad habits i don't remember waking up and saying Okay, this is what I'm. These are these are the habits I'm gonna fall into to make me feel this way or that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it's quite interesting. Um. It's quite interesting, but we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, what what you said there about sort of habits and habitual things, and I, I guess on the what like like you were saying how there's like opposites. We are talking about maybe creating ha- habitual. Uh, making self-reflection part of our habit because that would be a healthy thing to do but yeah you know you're you're also kind of touching on bad habits and habitual maybe ways of thinking or things we do that isn't maybe less conducive Um, yeah i hear you i I think it's hard to get rid of bad habits i think what i don't i don't think we were but i wasn't i wasn't brought up to to self-reflect that much had it been part of my daily kind of staple diet 
then it might have just been a normal thing to me, a regular thing, um, alongside my bad habits. Mm. But, you know, I, you grow up with some some good stuff and some also some bad habits and uh, some things you need to acquire but you haven't acquired and you have to actually, like, choose or make the move to acquire. Um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, I guess it's harder work, but then once you make it into a habit, mm. Um, mm. if that's possible, then is it possible mm. to yeah. make it? <laughs> what to get rid of bad habits? No, it? to make to make the self reflection. Oh. Some well, something that I haven't done for years, almost twenty, maybe more than twenty years. Is it possible to now make that a habit? I mean, yeah, I think. It, well, yeah, I, I think know. so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. We'll see. We'll let's, see. Let's, let's try. <laughs> <laughs> let's report back in eight weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to what you were talking about, almost like bad habits, though, I think one of the amazing things that you can get from reflecting is like self-awareness. Self-awareness is definitely something that is super powerful, because even if you are doing something which is detrimental, like to you in some shape or form, the second you're able to like identify it and understand it or to see the pattern or something like that, I think that's the first step that you take to being able to like address it or mm. change it you're now having a conversation to, with it instead of just being victim to it. Yeah. Um, well, that's yeah. powerful, yeah. Or but. being a victimiser because of it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, true as well. You know what I mean? I was um, thinking about self-reflection and sort of putting it into context with something which has become quite popular at the moment in people's, like, consciousness, which is self-care. Mm. Recently, I read this article on Refinery29, which was entitled, Is My Self-Care Really Self-Sabotage? And what I thought was quite interesting about this article was that at the moment, self-care is definitely something which is uh, people are becoming more aware of and um, almost like responding to as something which they need to do, which is beneficial to them. Um, but in it, this writer reflects, um, she says that she is an introvert and she has anxiety as well. So at first, choosing to put herself first, which is what is part and parcel to self-care, meant that she was choosing to like, you know, have nicer baths, stay in, mm. read, do the things that she liked. Um, but very slowly, she's come to realise that she was saying no to a lot of things, like events, um, opportunities, um, and almost it's it's like the self-care sort of like crossed this line where it was becoming almost like her excuse for like not wanting to come out of her comfort zone where sometimes she should. Right. I think that's interesting because also I feel like there's always the danger to become too self-centred when you go too far down that road of I need this, I need this. Mm. We're talking about making space and thinking about yourself and how you relate to others um mm. well yeah and she actually speaks to a psychiatrist who um helps us distinguish a few things so self-care is like when you uh, take positive actions which are towards yourself and then she talks about something else which is self-coddling which is a bit more mm. what you're describing it's mm. when you're like almost like protecting yourself in the long run i think this writer almost reflected that her self-coddling, which was happening in the form of her self-care, was not was not making her happy. 
I like that. Um, but wait, yeah, when does it when does it when does it go from self self care to self coddling? I wanted to go back to something you you, you mentioned earlier, Chima, which was about like um, whether one is like brought up to be self reflecting, and I I can't like I can't think of. I feel like unless your parents are like yoga instructors or mm. ugh, forgive me world for saying that whatever but or millennials yeah <laughs> yeah or you know or that it, it I think this this thing of intentional self reflection is is a skill and mm. yeah. most pe- I, that I th- I I don't think most people really engage with it I don't think I engage with it enough um, and it actually also then was like because earlier when we were talking about this. Um, we were, I think we touched on because obviously in third we talk about privilege a lot, and and we touch on this idea of um, whether you you need some some types of privileges in order to be able to attain certain kinds of balance. Um, it's conceptually linked to what we're talking. I think. Yeah, I. I don't know. I feel like they're different. People have different routes they take when they when they self reflect. Like if I compare. Um, obviously, the way I, I've just described doing it uh, sounds very intentional. Um, and then you think about Chima's way of doing it, and then it, it sounds super creative. Um, but if I think about other people who I know, like some people um, listen to music, and that's how they, mm. they reflect, you know what I mean? Like um, hip-hop even, you know what I mean? Never mind anything that sounds ethereal, mm. eth- ethereal or anything yeah. like that. Um, so I think it's just being willing to commit yourself to that mind space. I think it would be it would be wrong almost to uh, present the idea that self-reflection comes with that whole sort of like, um, I do yoga. Yoga life. Yeah. I can meditate, um, <laughs> you know, et cetera, et cetera. Do you yeah, know what I mean? I, a very yeah. sort of spiritual um, sort of image when I, I don't think it necessarily has to. Yeah. And that's where definitely and- like a feeling of especially in the current world we we live in privilege comes into because maybe who has the time to mm, commit time, to that yeah. lifestyle yeah, yeah. you know yeah um that's a really good point obviously it's really great if you have time and can afford to go to those amazing like yoga retreats and etc yeah. to make those things inseparable defeats the object mm. yeah hey. it's also like what you're selling yeah. people you know like it's almost mm. i feel like sometimes with yoga and etc you sell people the idea that they'll they're gonna get that through it. Mm. You might not get that. Through. I've been to yoga classes, and sometimes yeah. I've just been I've been struggling to stay in downward facing dog or whatever it's called. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? My my self reflection is on whether my muscles can stand the the pressure. Well, or like your self reflection is on other people being really sweaty next to you and like <laughs> accidentally touching your arm. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's true, though, this thing of associating activities with creating space for yourself to think about stuff. Mm. I think this is something that we, we're all definitely talking about. Yeah, but we, we've... Yeah, sorry. No, means, no. Uh, we've always been doing that. I mean, any any kind of... Any walk of life or in, in any position someone's in, there's always... Or people are in, there's always... There are always people there that are more reflective than others. Like, for example... For exa- again, music. Music. Um, uh, African-American music came from certain slaves singing while they were working capoeira came from certain slaves like you know self-reflecting on uh, on, on dance uh, um and uh, martial arts while they were working or while they were hiding it from from their masters so mm-hmm. to speak so yeah we are privileged to kind of you know choose to go to a yoga class or, or whatever but even if even if we weren't 
and even if we have nothing and the people that we think have nothing um, in, amongst the group of those people there are ones who are a lot more self-reflective than others mm-hmm. do you know what I mean mm-hmm. or, or are finding yeah. ways to be self-reflective mm. and just take time for themselves do you know what I mean mm. so yeah um, one, one of the reasons why I think all these yoga classes have come up uh, is because I don't know if this city to get ahead in this city or to be seen as um, what's the word um, um, highly functional Mm. Self-reflection doesn't even come into it, so Ooh. so now it's now now they've given you these be, these these places now where you can go and be self-reflective. And once you come out of there, you've got to now be highly functional again. Then mm. go there and be self-reflect. Reflect. You know what I mean? Yeah. I always tell a story about yoga. I, I was uh, one of my friends. Um, I went to her house and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm just like, I want to start yoga and like, um, do you have you heard of Kundalini? And she was like, yes, I have. Chima, I'm Indian. <laughs> 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 totally forgot that yeah, where yoga comes from. Oh my god! Um, because that's beautiful. Like, show me any kind of like any way you can do yoga where the leaders actually Indian. It's like it's actually quite that's rare. Such a good point. <laughs> such a good go point. Go on, go on YouTube and try and find a yoga master who isn't who is Indian. I mean, there are there are people out there, but it's like yeah, wade through a, a thick kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Someone was telling me about how these poses and whatnot is is. Basically, like how Chinese food is adapted for Western, or not all of them, but like the kind of classic like Chinese takeaway doesn't taste anything like actual Chinese food because mm. it's been adapted as a, like a different product. Um, somebody was telling me how yoga is kind of the same, like this thing of like different poses and like etc. has been is really like adapted for people who, you know, who are like busy and want to just find a moment to work out and be mindful mm. and I don't know recently I did this class um following a YouTube video and halfway through it I was just like I'm doing crunches right now like this is what's going on here she's she, a second ago she was like think about your breathing a second later I'm like working out doing sit-ups I'm just, this is not this doesn't make sense and then but then I just gave in to it and continued it's still exercise at the end of the day I guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. um, cool. <laughs> so Chima, now you have a poem of yours to read. I uh, can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, yes, yes, uh it's called Truth Is. It's um, I think I, I I wrote it. It was I think it's published in one of the uh, um, um, the magazines. I can't remember which um, edition. It's called Truth Is. Um, <clears throat> years now, and perhaps in a bid to increase a type of productivity, we have split into roles. These roles then became real things from which we all, as humans, grow into, rather than representations of optional ways of being. To know this and attempt changing for the better, you do so at a frequency your body is used to. You do the same things you did in the world you left behind, but for different causes. Serial monogamists find a safer pair of hands to spend their years with. Commitment phobes still never call back, but this time to people who deserve it. The ever thoughtful reach deeper into other, other wells and lose themselves. 
the public speakers still feel no way to jump on the mic and discredit their former selves. Which one are you? I wouldn't say I'm a feminist. I normally tell people that I'm, I am a misogynist in rehab, just to feel as though my journey is never stagnant. Just to come to terms with the fact that, like long-term smokers on the quit, some days will be better than others. Changing, as in turning from trusted institutions, means juggling the fine line between guilt and shame of past events, and also seeing through a new lens the harm caused by the culture we once followed blindly. Operating in that fragile trio makes you realise why afterthought is a banned economy when gifted with privilege. I feel like in my case anyway, the act of changing and the act of keeping people safe go hand and glove. A curious silence normally follows after I say that to people. We have heightened the meaning of safety just as we have heightened the idea of danger. Danger is the suicidal terrorist, the boogeyman rapist, the loud racist and the attack-happy homophobe. To be safe is to be protected from those people. I haven't committed any of those crimes, but I have lived most of my life with no strong argument against being the greater sex, against having the louder voice, against my able body being normalised, against my vocal sexism and homophobia being normalised, against my flawed assumptions about the experience of others. I am a monster. Then I remember my blackness and how calling myself a monster in a world already quick to paint me as one might be unsafe for me make me spend more time pretending to be the colour of safe hands and forgetting the ceaseless monster cultivated in all races of men. Then I think about the precarious issue of consent. Wrote about it in a poem, part candid, part cryptic, but like most men in the consent area, it typically lacked emotion. Though as little toddlers, we boys cried out our emotions more than girls, we have grown to forget that past. So now we men groan rather than whimper and cry during sex, feverishly doing only the things we are taught are admissible. I didn't start having sex in a fascist country because I was watching porn way back when in a fascist country. Men. Men and fucking. Men fucking as if they'll never orgasm. Men being fucked as if their dicks were the only sensitive spot. Men afraid to reveal their kink still getting over how the last person took it. I do wonder, beyond the patriarchy, what affects our preferences more? Could it be our parents? Could the raging lovers of the world stem from tactile parents who love them wildly? Could the constantly searching lovers come from parents who didn't know, didn't know quite how much love to give? Am I my father's son? But now he has passed away, I'm either my father or my son. It doesn't make any sense. The truth is much simpler. Truth is my knee hurts. Truth is me and many men are overdue a checkup for their prostate. Truth is trouble, Toni Morrison wrote. Truth is my friend recalled that Toni Morrison line after I had read the book and he had just skimmed through it. Truth is he is a better man than me. Truth is I don't know what being a man means. Truth is a confessed unease. Truth is made political because we can. Politics are actions and actions are chosen. Truth is I only dare to judge that harshly in my thoughts. Truth is I am in love. Yeah, there you go. I, love <laughs> I remember this poem. 
it was an yeah, issue too. Yeah, it was an issue too. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm. <laughs> Highly self-reflective piece of work. Yeah. Like, obviously, as a poet, as a writer, or any type of creative, you have to dig deep and self-reflect in order to make work. But the topic of this poem is it's very much that looking inwards and examining yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was. It came at a time where I was when, when I was doing all that stuff, and uh, I, st- I still, of course, or, or I'm also still making lots of mistakes as, as well. Um, uh, just kind of, um, I don't know. I think self-reflection for me really is um, is not. It's not defending the things that I've done wrong anymore, or coming up with. I wouldn't say excuses or coming up with. Uh, someone someone or, or some institution to point the finger at even though you can and also it's um self-reflection is like just being silent in certain in certain situations mm. um and letting people kind of uh letting people speak their their truth mm. in a way and also just being able to fuck off mm. <laughs> not being not, not taking that to heart um, which i have done many times um, mm. And also just like oh, like being able to fuck off when you're told to, and also being able to like tell yourself to fuck off, and like be like, okay, this is not a safe, this is not a safe spot for me. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, that's where that's come from. <laughs> I really love um, not to like pinpoint a particular part of the poem, but like it's almost like when you go crushing up to the bit where you call yourself a monster mm. and you, you it's like you're searching for like ways to almost like label yourself completely package yourself mm. and then you you almost have to to step back and ref, almost like reflect on like um all these other complexities mm. um which i think is a really useful thought yeah yeah um and thing to be like to be able to do especially with these labels of like these quite profound labels right like so like victim and abuser or like um like really basically all these like really uh things that seem like they're really dichotomy like yeah do you know what i mean yeah 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 Uh, and super juxtaposed but actually like sometimes they like flow in and out of each other Mm. and i love the way it ends in actually i'm in love because you just don't don't know expect it to come <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah true um yeah just like um i thought i was writing that thinking yeah i'm not gonna let myself off the hook but um when it comes to real life situations it's so easy to to let yourself off the hook or to kind of like you know to brandish yourself as this person who's like um just because you didn't mean it doesn't mean it means that you know um, it didn't hurt someone yeah, yeah 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 that kind of thing mm, interesting so yeah so just like yeah, it's an interesting. It's interesting. Um, talk from a from a gender point of view. Me, uh, me being a kind of straight, straight man, straight black man kind of thing. But um, but like straight man, which is where a lot of a lot of uh, straight men get their power from. Just being straight, straight and being men. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, and just kind of observing um, how I like taken like power from that from from those titles and how i've like spent my life trying to be those titles and i think one of the reasons why i'm I'm quite reflective is because i haven't really been able to um um i haven't been it's, it, it hasn't like it hasn't fit me well it's not really a, it's do you know what i mean that those titles 
no matter how old I try, I always get like found out. Like, yeah, you're you're just not really you're not the guy. Do you know what I mean? So maybe that's that's what's one. Of, but maybe if I was, maybe if I fit in really well, if I was like, mm. if I was highly respected by lots of other men, and I was like, you know, doing things straight men and straight women respected, then I wouldn't even give it a thought. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so maybe I don't know. You, because you're you're you talk a lot about toxic masculinity, and you also in the past I've I've heard you. When we talk about these things, I've I've heard you talking about yourself as a as a straight passing man, yeah, yeah which yeah. I always find really interesting. As of you you I guess you are straight identifying, but yeah, yeah. in putting that word passing in there, completely sort of loads all of it and kind of undercuts yeah the, all the assumptions there. And um, yeah, I just I find that I find that really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm definitely straight passing by the way I dress and. Also, just being a tall black man, <laughs> just kind of like with really you, good posture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just kind of makes you straight passing anyway. What makes you makes people assume? I remember there was one time I was on a train, um, and I had this kind of I made a pie and I put it. I was like looking for a bag to put it in, so I just snatched a bag from my mother's wardrobe, and then I was just getting looks on the train. Oh, your mum's bag? Just what a bag? Like I just thought it was a bag, so oh. it was a Tesco bag, one of the yeah. big ones. And I went, I went to the, the the dinner party I was supposed to go to, and then one of the, one of the girls out there, she was like, "I like your bag," and I looked at it, and it was like, "What was that? Um, what was that? Um, kids, uh, got that really, really the ice, ice, ice person, ice queen person. <laughs> what is it about ice and name? There's a what are you talking snowman about? Snowman or something? No, no, the know. recent one, and it's it's, it's made, a film. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Frozen. Frozen. Yeah. It was oh, a God. it was a it was a frozen <laughs> bag, and everyone was looking at me like. <laughs> Why you got a frozen bag on? And I, I had no idea that people would, I, until I went out until I went to the dinner party. I was like my bag, and I actually looked at it. I was like, oh, that's why everyone was looking. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Because it was like, oh, that doesn't match, or that doesn't, yeah. you know. But not- then I think there's almost something like nice in the fact that you were like comfortable with that. Like you just saw the bag for being a bag. Like, yeah, I feel yeah. Like an aspect of like toxic masculinity. If so, I had to compare that situation to like some other guys I know like if that was the only bag in the house and you were like hey have it they'd be like I can't I can't walk out with this what do you yeah, mean but, but they're right though they can't look at the looks I got for doing <laughs> had, no. I have bought, had, I, had I have bought another bag of just all blue then I would have just been a normal straight man and no one would have fucked me but then this is your <laughs> feeling of having like almost like failed that position my feeling is like yeah fuck around with them no yeah true like, no totally they, but then they deserve to you're like, right this is so weird for them like look and behold yeah you're right you're I've right i got this bag in my hand you're right but i also give you another in- in- instance when i was at was it best of all and i was with a, a group called sink the pink and I, I used to film them and there was one time they did, a, they did this tour around best festival and they were all like dressed up in drag kind of thing and i was as well and and we went we stopped off somewhere a backstage somewhere and then we were all leaving and one of the girls was like chima come let's go and I was like, no, don't worry, I'll go by myself. She said, no, no, just come with us. I was like, oh, I'm fine. Oops, I'm fine. And then I realised why she said, let's go in a group. Because when I went out to that festival by myself in drag, the amount of straight people that stopped me <laughs> taking pictures, wanted to chat oh. to me for half an hour. I was like, oh, that's why. They just want to go from one, from A to B without being seen like that or without being questioned. Mm. Or I get it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, so guys are like, yeah, I'm not going to wear that bad because blah, blah. But yeah, they just, don't, they just don't want to be seen like that. They just don't want to be. 
So, in a way, they're protecting themselves. True, but I feel, yet again, this is where things need to, like, things need to change. It does, does. I feel like almost this is where, like, other people need to reflect on, like, why were they so fixated with the bag? Like, you could have, you know what I mean? Like, why does... Why does that intrigue people? Mm. I'm always, like, kind of fascinated by this because I think sometimes, especially when it comes to, like, things where it's super, um, like, homophobic or, you know, uh, anti-queer, you know what I mean? I think I'm always, like, asking myself, why do people... Why are you personally, like, revoked by that? I don't Mm. get it. And I almost feel like um, because things are so binary sometimes with how we, like we uh, absorb gender, you know, like that gives people the right to feel like that reaction or that stare is, mm. is, it's okay. And actually you had to change. You, you should have changed what you were doing. Whereas I would reflect and say like, actually like what we need to do is more people need to go out wearing frozen bags. Yeah. Yeah. So like, normalize you it. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, that's not such a, you're I right, mean, it's super right. idealistic. Don't get me wrong. You're but, right. um, yeah, I'm almost would question that and where that comes from. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, just cha- just it's, it's it's just challenging kind of structures, isn't it? Like, I don't know if you uh, uh, for, for in Europe, I guess long hair and um, and ways of dressing for women make make uh, uh, make the Western gays uh, believe that you're more of a woman than someone else who has maybe short hair or like just wears trousers all the time or blah blah blah. So it's just these things that you know. Once you want once you counter that, people want to know why, uh, whether they're intrigued in a good way or a negative way. So mm-hmm. it's like it's like you can't fuck it. Sometimes you, so it's like even when you counter that, like you you have to also obviously people who do that know. When you go out there, you have to field the public, yeah. you know, uh, the curiosity mm. of the public. You have to kind of like mm. that. That's part of it all. Yeah. And um, th- which is really, which is really horrible. Like just to be yourself, you have to go out there and, a- and answer so many questions. You can't just be yourself. And if you don't want to answer all those questions, just just take the makeup off and wear some jeans and some whatever, and then you'll be fine. Yeah. Which is really horrible. Which is yeah. Which is, yeah. yeah, totally. I mean. Yeah. I think that definitely goes um, to. I think that goes also in more subtle ways of, you know, a straight passing woman deciding to wear maybe fitting clothes and actually having to think about that. Yeah, totally. Um, and how that is gonna, how how, like for me personally. I have to be in a mental space in order to wear tight-fitting clothes because it had. I, I think it's like about feeling mentally strong enough to deal with the world. Yeah, it's not. You know, I have fashion choices, but then I have to back that up with: Am I up for the world and the gays mm. today? Yeah, and vice versa, mm. making statements about like I'm not showing my body because I don't want yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mm. I hear that. One thing in your poem, I love the line of um, "I'm not, I'm not a, a, I'm a misogynist in, in rehab." rehab. Yeah, um, <laughs> I kind of, I, I really love that. I think it ties really well with a lot of what we're saying about this thing of constantly self-reflecting and checking, checking yeah, yeah. in on, like checking on yourself in terms of your behaviour and. I mean that that that's very much to do with interpersonal. Yeah, you're right. I mean, um, I'm, I'm 
Well, I mean, I don't know what the operative word is in that term, misogynist and rehab. Is it rehab or misogynist? I don't know what's the... Mm. I don't, and also, rehab is not an everyday thing. There's sometimes I forget and I am just a misogynist. <laughs> or I've just said something like really sexist or something. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then I reflect on that. I was like, oh shit, kind of thing. Um, and sometimes like, I'm doing stuff and I don't even know it. It's 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 uh, it's out. It's it's, it's born from like misogyny. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm, I think um, this really ties in with what uh, we were talking about earlier with microaggressions. Mm. Like, because I think like misogyny is is a super loaded word um and like without being someone who like is vehemently who hates women obviously chima you're not you know what i mean I'm, I'm, how do you know how do you know I'm not? <laughs> <laughs> oh. okay i'm not i'd like to say i'm not I was, I was trying to fend for you here i was like you know but anyway um yeah but i think there are ways in which you might find your like any just to use the term ally might find themselves slipping up yeah, yeah. Um, and being microaggressive to someone who they intend to support um, and not to like you know give the get out of jail free card to when you do that but it is um, yeah I guess that's part of the learning you know yeah yeah like yeah I guess that's, I guess yeah. that's part of the learning that comes yeah it is Okay, so uh, one of the things we're doing on this show is reflecting on the year for third. And this year we launched our fourth issue, which is called Access. Um, And to celebrate it, we did two events at the Tate in the bookshop there. We did a Vogue workshop, which was led by Darrell West from the House of West. And we also did a a panel discussion, which was called Not Another Diversity um, Talk. Yeah, and um, it was a really, really fantastic event, completely sold out, and the energy was excellent. Um, The panellists themselves had basically affirmed that they felt like it wasn't like any other um, diversity panel that they had been on, which I thought was a massive compliment, and that was so great to hear. Um, Obviously touched on many different things um, in that talk, but there were a couple of moments that I think are really pertinent to... Um, what we're talking about here in terms of self-reflection. So um, I think I'll just maybe play a few of these excerpts and then we can sort of talk about them. Wicked. So first, uh, a little clip where basically um, Rona asked the panel a question regarding imposter syndrome. The only thing that I can do when I feel like I shouldn't be in a space is remember that I only feel like that because I've never seen people like me in the spaces. And a lot of it does come to representation. Growing up in a time, and I guess an area in which, like, you just, there was never a mirror of you, or like a reflection of you, or a fragment of you. Um, As an elder, as a, as a, a, I don't know, like a guide or anything, there wasn't that. So I feel like I have to remind myself of that sometimes to just like, remind myself that the reason that I do this work is so that other people don't feel this. And that's all I can do, so at the moment, anyway. I think, again, like you say, is every day, it needs to be a practice, mm-hmm. because um, every day we're dealing with new shit. Or the same shit, but every day. Mm-hmm. So it kind of it is, it is a new, 
Um, yeah, the other thing, um, I think again, like we've all touched on is um, the sense of community, that sense of belonging and that you feel reflected. And with the other box, um, that is something that we kind of had to garner because we just were like, we can't be imagining this stuff that we're experiencing at work. Um, and with um, the poetry, with four brown girls who write, like it was such, a, it, there is such a sacred space when it comes to creating that is that we hold for each other that is is a really safe space genuinely safe and without that i think like i wouldn't pr i probably would have like stopped writing so in that way like you you need to find the place that allows you to feel your whole self safely um I was thinking maybe we should just quickly unpack what imposter syndrome means because I think we shouldn't assume everybody knows what that is, especially if you don't experience it. Mm. Yeah, well, I imposter syndrome is basically when you, in maybe in a certain environment, you feel like a bit like a fraud or you feel like you don't deserve to be there as much as the other people in the room. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think it is definitely, um, especially, actually, I'm, I'm not even going to say when you're starting off with something, but I definitely do feel that it is something that people struggle with mm. in work environments, um, especially when your ideas are quite different, if they're being shut down yeah. or, like, there isn't a forum for your ideas. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel, uh, yeah, and also like r what Roshni was was saying. If you're feeling something and no one else, it, it seems like she, you know, she mentions, you know, the importance of community because if you're feeling something and it feels like no one else understands or can relate to that feeling you're having, um, I, I suppose that makes you go deeper into yourself. And it's only through like reaching out and speaking to other people who have similar experiences that you almost feel like, okay, I'm not going crazy. Like, um, this is something that's happening and I, there is a reason for me feeling this way. Mm. Um, so it's almost like one of the mechanisms you can use to deal with imposter syndrome, I guess, is like uh, having a community who's also aware of mm. the things you're going through. Mm. Mm. And yeah, self-reflection being almost like the first step to w when you have these feelings, checking in with yourself and, and thinking, is it, I, this doesn't feel right, I don't feel good about this, da, 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 and going to that process of thinking, okay, maybe I need to talk to somebody. And yeah. Yeah, I think also what Kai was saying about like being able to see yourself um, is so important just because I mean, I personally feel, not to use uh, <laughs> quite a random example, but I personally feel um, if you look at Meghan Markle at the moment, <laughs> because she is the first royal of colour, mm. um, almost seeing what she's going through is like seeing how imposter syndrome or like can play out on quite a big sort of like platform, if mm. you know what I mean? Just because obviously she's... Um, I don't know. Sorry, I'm going in quite deep here, do but it, um, she's a royal. I'm not. I'm not trying to like, you know, ah, oh, say, oh, you know, she must be struggling. Yeah, I hate sorry, you. I hate I'm you. not I hate you. not coming from that perspective. But no, no. in terms of like, 
she's interesting because she is the first royal of colour and I think initially we all celebrated her being there and I think that's definitely something that happens when people take up space in, mm. in an arena you've never seen anyone like them before these days we tend to celebrate them but we never tend to ask the questions of how are they doing in that in that position mm. um how are they thriving do they how do they feel in that in that, in that spot um and I think recently she came out and said that she's not been dealing with it very well and I'm sure a lot of that has come to racist misogynist mm. comments that she's dealt with uh, and slurs in the press and etc um but it's interesting because even someone who is so like so privileged mm. is part of like the most technically the richest or the most powerful family one of the most powerful families in the the country is still dealing with things connected to that may mm. i might imagine um but yeah, actually, that was quite a long tangent from that. <laughs> it just came to my mind. No, I liked it. It's like, no one's safe. <laughs> um, I, I, I'll, I'd like to play an, the next clip, which is actually definitely linked to this um, directly, because it's about how to deal with microaggressions. So last question for the panel before I open up to the Q&A is about uh, understanding yourself uh, within technically microaggressive spaces. So this is a question to pose to yourself, um, but also maybe to allies as well. Um, yeah, so what sort of things do you think that we can, or strategies can we put in play to navigate these spaces, which might be quite microaggressive? I don't kind of shy or, or calm myself down to kind of make everyone feel, you know, 100% um, comfortable because their mind's already doing that for them. They're already looking at me and deciding who I am before they've even thought about anything. Mm. So more than anything else, I just be me. And I'm a happy guy, I smile, um, and, and that's it. You know, I try and focus on, we was talking about it earlier, the idea of focusing on what's the similarities between us, what's the things that connect us, rather than trying to create that alienation space um, for me. So it's more reversed for me because, you know, I'm a guy, black, and, and all that other stuff that comes with them, you know, being that from a media perspective. Mm. So, you, you know, and then the classic response you get all the time is, oh, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be like that. Oh, you're much smarter than I thought. Oh, you speak very, very well. You know, <laughs> that's all them other things which you get. But I don't care. Like, I've just got to this space where, you know, we make this joke, myself and Ken, which is, look at my CV. <laughs> that's all you have to do you have to see what we've done and what we're about we don't need to talk about that stuff anymore um we just focus in on the work and and you know at the end of the day my energy is what it is so hopefully you can work with me rather than see me as a threat um so it's probably more reversed than maybe some other guys or girls you know i think i think a large a large part of it is like you said having like somewhere that you can decompress um, and like focusing, I try to focus about on my life outside of those situations, um, and and in those moments, give myself like self care, as opposed to in it like in the process. Um, I also wrote a thing for Vice, which is like a hundred ways to to be a trans ally, mm -hmm. and I just send that to people, and I just don't repeat it anymore. Like I just. <laughs> Here's your hyperlink. See you later. And that's it. Like, if you have questions, we can maybe do it. But like, just learning, yeah, just learning to not do the emotional labor, which takes such like so many years and so much, yeah, and so, so much, much energy. energy. And like, 
it's just it's under it's understanding like who need who actually needs to know like if somebody is genuinely doing this for for your good outside of their curiosity and they're doing it for your comfortability then cool but if it's the if it's the other way around then still have time for it I actually don't that's it I just want to make sure even even though these are amazing like mechanisms for dealing with microaggressions. I think also it's worth acknowledging that sometimes you don't even realize it's happening to you till after the point. And so in that way, sometimes it can be really, really hard to, um, under to like deep those feelings and understand how to process it yep. and until it's too late, until like, you know, you've had a breakdown or until um, you're, you've got other coping mechanisms. So microaggressions, I think, are actually really tough to deal with because sometimes it can be your nearest and dearest microaggressing you mm. because they are working through shit on their own and as long as um i don't even know where to go with this point apart from like if you, like we're all capable of microaggressing as well so i think once we start acknowledging when our own behavior is being microaggressive and we can start to like draw that distance and learn to be like, oh my God, I understand what's going on because of this is the way I've been socialized, then you can start clocking it from externally to you and then start having those conversations or not, or just like learn to walk away rather than put in the emotional labor. Um, but I do think it's worth acknowledging that it can be really insidious and from so many different directions and it's very tiring. Um, so to just try and arm yourself over time as much as possible with um, different ways of like coping with it. We're in the room. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> um, what amazing points, right? Mm. Yeah. And very nuanced. I think this thing of uh, we are all capable of microaggressing someone. That's what you were saying earlier, Chima, as well. Mm. Um, yeah, it's mm. true. <laughs> No, yeah, listening to that, I was also thinking about thinking back on what I was talking about and about being in a relationship and like saying certain things. And I think, um, and I was like, uh, I've said some certain things and they have too. I was like, didn't mean to say that they have too, but <laughs> but I think, like, you know, you always look for weaknesses, I guess, when you're trying to defend yourself. And, um, and I guess the institution has made has made has made easy to easy work for you know, weak spots you know mm. or for targeting weak spots um so yeah yeah you just gotta yeah it's hard it's, a, it's, a, it's an everyday thing i guess yeah i really loved the fact that roshni emphasized the fact that it is um it can come from all angles because mm. i think when you think about microaggressions these days you definitely you see it in that institutionalized context you see it in like what the outside is is doing to you from you know to you internally yeah. uh, but you don't consider about maybe what your home space is doing mm. what your friendship group is doing and actually sometimes those things are also microaggressive too um, and it's just like this is having that ability to be that aware where you're like okay it's going to come from like loads of different angles and maybe actually I need to um, tweak how I deal with them in these different places mm. um, and also have understanding for them for these for, for it because I could be a microaggressor um, was really a useful a useful way of seeing things as well I see, yeah. um, because I think also 
sometimes we do tend to think, especially when it comes to stuff like microaggressions, especially as like I'm, I can put my hands my hands up as like a black woman. Mm. I see that as something which sometimes I do. Um, I'm at the other end of, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, because that's how I feel it most of the time. But actually, recognizing that you also have that potential is, um, yeah, I guess super important to understanding how to stop them. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. that's the way in, isn't it? Like starting by thinking, oh, how do, how can I try to not make this happen? Um, I feel like it kind of really ties back to things we were talking about, like creating habits mm. and mm. and like there's a couple of things that I think really link well together, which is um, the thing that's difficult is like getting used to the idea of something and making that something that's habitual. Mm. Um, I listened to this interesting talk about um, non, non-binary, gender, non, non-binary gender pronouns mm. and how um, it was like introduced in some secondary school or somewhere and the kids actually were just able to pick it up Immediate, really, yeah, really quickly because they haven't had that habitual mm. repetition of he and she being the only way that you refer to people. Yeah, exactly. And so like within weeks, they were just like, they, 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 like, yeah, it's no big it deal. Wonderful, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I it, I think that really, it's that that was really illuminating again, mm. um, this idea that like, you know, it's it's just about choosing to engage with it and choosing to try to make something a habit. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, you know, just, like, um, curbing your um, curiosity sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just asking asking black people or trans people about certain things just for your curiosity. Yeah. Not not because you want to be um, a, be- a be- better person around around them just because, oh, I want to know, how do you do this then? Or how do you guys do this so I can... Tell it, tell it, tell it to my friends at a dinner party or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah. curbing those questions as well, and and um, yeah, and go, going online to find, to figure to figure out those answers because um, yeah. it's not it's not up to that human being to just to to, to to field to field your questions. You know. Yeah, and and that's basically what um, they were like. You know, this term emotional labor. I think mm. that's basically what it is when you make someone who is at the receiving end of this type of microaggression or yeah, whatever yeah. have to explain to you why it makes them feel bad, therefore reliving that sensation yet again. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it is definitely subtle and it's, it takes, you know, kids are endlessly curious and they'll just ask anybody any question. Yeah. But as you grow up, I think, yeah, I feel like that's more and more that you, I have. Th- thoughts about is it appropriate for me to bring this up or ask this question not yeah exactly it's also how who you're asking the question to do you know what i mean i think sometimes there's like you said if you type it into google like um and you find your own information that's fine but sometimes like um i think people can feel quite uh entitled when they mm. ask their questions sometimes true, true, you know true. um and the idea is like oh, but I'm taking an interest in trying to understand you. Mm. And it's moving away from saying that so acceptable and actually saying, well, if you if you, if you you care, you do the research mm. to a certain degree, yeah. you know? Because um, there's nothing wrong with not knowing to, to a certain extent, you know? Like, yeah. going back to the whole language thing, like, there are certain things which we have just learned and require unlearning to get right. Mm. But... Um, yeah, I think 
if it's going to make someone uncomfortable and it's not actually being used, like Kai emphasises, for the, the the good of that person, yeah. then it's, it's just kind of selfish. Mm-hmm. Mm. I also think, though, on potentially an, an, another hand, um, on the other hand, there's also something about having a space where you feel like you can throw away some comments mm. and not mm. have to be... It sounds weird and bad to say, oh, you don't have to be politically correct 100% of the time. Mm. I don't really mean that, but I don't know what you guys think about this idea that, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, in sports or people like going like, oh, stop being such a pussy. And like, you know, the more you talk about this, the more you engage with it, the more you're like, okay, I I get why that's not a good thing to say and and it doesn't make me feel good and I'm going to be conscious of it, et cetera, et cetera. But then, like, sometimes you, you just throw throw out these kind of terms and, yeah, I just wondered what you guys thought about, like, having the space to be able to sometimes throw out some words that, you know, in the assumption that you, that's not how you actually feel about... Yeah, I get you. I think, I think, for, I think for me as a, again, a straight man... Um, I wouldn't expect to be able to throw sexist terms at you mm. and expect you to forgive me for mm. them constantly. Um, I think that's 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 a that's a battle between other straight men that mm. they're supposed to wrangle between themselves. Like that's a conversation, and I do we do have like a lot of a lot of men do have conversations about what's sexist and what isn't, and and in that con- in that conversation, I do I do like or, or we do interrogate like okay, but that's that's saying that is sexist or saying that and in, in and, and in that there's also jokes and there's also things that are thrown out that we'd hope wouldn't wouldn't say in front of um in front of um, a woman or trans person or do you know what i mean so it, i think it is up to that group to have that conversation amongst themselves and give each other that space to kind of like say things and be like, okay that's not interrogate those things and then say that's not maybe you shouldn't you shouldn't say those things or that's not that's a thing you shouldn't be you know what i mean because times have changed or things you know or just to, just to keep people safe you shouldn't say those things but to to, to be like to go into and to go into as a straight man go into your space as a woman and and ask you to allow me um the privilege of being sexist every every now and again um I guess you can ask that question, and and it's up to you whether you want whether you, whether it's whether it's okay it's okay for you. For mm. um, yeah, because I, I, another thing that comes from that would, would be like if if I get shut down, my thing could be well, listen, like I don't like the way you I don't like the way you shut me down, and if you keep shutting me down like this, I'm not going to talk about um, your issues anymore. That kind of thing. Do you know mm. what I mean? So once you, for me, once you give somebody that. Once you give someone privilege, even more privilege, they'll just take it even further. Mm. And they'll think that they're the most important thing. Mm. So, yeah, that's how I see it. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's very, very nuanced stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I think also, like, part and parcel, like, I think almost what you're highlighting is a question of intimacy, right? So I guess, like, as friends, if I turn around to my friend and I'm like don't be such a bitch you know what I mean Mm. like she knows that there's a bit of tongue in cheek in that statement Mm. and it's not just me like taking the piss out of her but um I don't know like if I'm just throwing it around I don't know yet again it does come does come back to who's saying it you know because 
maybe if uh, one of my gay, no, my, my straight male friends turned around and was like, Ronnie, you're such a bitch. You know what I mean? I might be like, oh, hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, it's the, same, it's the same thing, but you just feel it differently. Um, yeah. And I think that, that, I feel like we almost have to be real about certain things and just be like, yeah. that's just a factual thing. You know what I mean? That's, like, just, I, yeah, it, that's exactly. just the way it almost well, yeah. kind of goes. Yeah. And like, though that's almost like saying, oh, it's kind of allowing people to have, I don't know, to have, I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess yeah, what I actually I was maybe trying to say was more like among, among, let's say, straight men for them when they're in their private company Mm. then they are like if they don't say things like oh stop being such a pussy in front of me that's one thing but if they then in their own space say to each other stop being such a pussy yeah um how that is different and how like you know what i mean that's yeah no i hear you i hear you i i i i don't know i i but yet not, again, yeah, I don't yeah. know, I feel like that still comes with, like, that's a dangerous line, because, yeah, I Definitely. think, you yeah. know, that's that's a safe space for them to use that word, but just throw in me or you, and then suddenly it's not a mm-hmm. no strings attached, no, no offence being caused term mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? And so it's almost like, um, though... Yeah, it happens, you know. Um, It's questioning why that needs to be the term that they lean on. Um, I think, yeah, why why does that need to be the term they lean on? And it's almost like, I'm sure if me or you were there, like, I know, I'll put my hands up and say, if I was there, I'd be the killjoy who'd be like, hey, (laughs) yeah, yeah, well, actually, this pussy, you know what I mean? And then we have to have this conversation, (laughs) and then you just create that environment. And so even for them, it's just like, how how worth that word was it? How worth it, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, do you know what I mean? But funny, I want to pick up on you calling yourself, like, hypothetically a killjoy in that situation, that, like, you are bringing the tone down by being, like, you just you just said something quite offensive yeah but i mean it's 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 almost like i it's killjoy for me too because i don't want to i don't actually want to clap back and correct you you know what yeah, i mean true. it's like with a child i don't want to i don't want to tell you to to stop acting acting a fool just don't do it please and we'll have a great time mm. um so it's not like i'm like i don't think personally in that position i don't think anyone who has to correct someone is like oh yeah i just got one up on someone you know it's just yeah, almost yeah. like this has made me feel a bit uncomfortable. I've had to speak out about it. It's now changed the vibe. We had to have this little mini discussion. <laughs> yeah. And now we have to continue on being yeah. in other spaces. Yeah. Um, maybe not a bad time to go into the next um, clip, which uh, is about meditating around boundaries. Um, this, is, this is mainly Russian speaking. Um, to a personal level as well, like un- understanding your own personal boundaries. I think, again, it's interesting you talk about boundaries because there, there is totally... Um, those things are totally relevant when it comes to diversity. Um, and I think, that's, I think that's what needs to happen. And it's, it's definitely what we're trying to do with our courses. Like, a lot of our training courses, we started with a meditation 
because we're so, in modern like life, we're so disembodied, we're so disconnected from our bodies are feeling and what, what our bodies are processing, whatever your own personal situation. So we start our courses with a meditation to be like, come into your body and now you can start to understand what the emotions are that you're feeling and where you're feeling them and when they might come up in the workplace and what it might mean in terms of biases or exclusion or inclusion or anything like that as well. I like how we're kind of going full circle now, like getting back into the idea of like meditation and yoga, which we talked about mm. quite a lot at the beginning. Um, I found, I, I really loved, um, even though it totally makes sense when she said it, um, I was like, I haven't really thought about that before, even though it seems so obvious, this idea that by meditating and coming into yourself is when you can actually, you need to know yourself before you can know others. Mm. It, it's just so, so yeah, yeah. real, isn't it? Yeah, true. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, I um, would agree. Yeah. And um, meditating. I try to meditate. Um, um, again, I do see a difference when I don't meditate. and uh, But it's just, this, it's kind of freeing. It's kind of an open, just being, it allows me to be a bit more open. And maybe it affects how I, how I speak to people and see people. I hope it does. Mm. I hope it does. Um, and he, there's a clip here now that uh, mainly Kai is speaking about um, what is defined as luxury. Um, Kai, to direct a question to you, um, I know you've worked with, you know, uh, companies, agencies, and brands, and etc. In quite a few different roles. Mm -hmm from poet to model to consultant even, um, but you've talked about like stressing the need for companies to look at their existing policies before they maybe reach out to you about certain projects. What, what specific things are you looking for in these policies or are you looking for, are you asking them to examine? I think a lot of it is to reevaluate what they see as luxury and realize that that's sometimes someone's basic need. That's like the easiest way that I can explain it. Um, so like, I don't know, if I go to a shoot and I assume that, or I expect to be greeted with the right pronouns and have like an adequate space to change and maybe have somebody that I can speak to if I'm on set and something does happen that makes me feel uncomfortable and travel there and back. And those are the kind of things that people kind of forget about. So if, if I'm shooting late, I mean, most of the time I have quite a good possibility. So I do like roll around at night. I'm not saying that I don't. But like leaving a shoot, I don't know, especially if I've been put in uh, makeup or something like that, and then being able to get home, that's like something that nobody kind of considers. They just think, oh, you're going to get on a tube or you're going to get on a you're going to get a cab or whatever, and they should be the things that people should be talking about straight away. Um, and also just like the general, uh, just having general conversations about people's boundaries and like what people are about and what people aren't willing to do and what people are willing to do. And it's a huge part of it is about consent. And it took me a long time to realize like the breadth of what consent is. So like even me inviting my friend for a meal and assuming they can pay is me non-consensually putting them in a situation that could make them financially like unavailable for other things. 
And I think that being able to do that allowed me to sort of relay that to brands and, and organizations and make sure that all of these safety mechanisms are in place. So we're not assuming things of people. We're not assuming that people are like, especially trans people are financially dependent to get it to, like from A to B all the time or even like safe enough to do so. Uh, things like gendered, like ungendered bathrooms, which I mean should be everywhere, but it's a whole other conversation. Um, but yeah, just like yeah, basically changing what people think of as as luxuries or privileges, and and making them realize that they are basic needs. Yeah, I love this point, uh, especially stretching the fact that yeah, some of the things that for for one person might be a luxury. Uh, is for someone else a basic need. I think that's so important. And I think that's a really useful way of looking into how you do cater to diversity. You know what I mean? Like a really um, useful way for a, like addressing how you s sincerely do that because it mm -hmm. is also, you know, I think for institutions and companies and brands who do want to embrace this, um, that is one of the ways they do struggle. They 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 say they want to celebrate it, but it's it's very face value, mm. and it's not actually um, looking deep into what do these people need in order yeah. to to thrive. Yeah, in order to you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I really love that point from the talk. Yeah, hey, just listening, just just uh, even even me, um, not, not to talk of institutions, just being able to keep listening. Uh, and not have a wall up and say I'm here now, you know. Mm. It's uh, yeah, it's hard, but yeah, um, yeah. I pray for the day that it's expected from institutions that they do that. You know, they keep yeah. listening, keep understanding. Mm. Yeah, and I I personally think the whole idea of uh, like going into how we non-consensually um, like get people into things was is super uh, interesting as well and mm. very very potent because i mm. think that is something um that we that we can all do without thinking about mm. it you know like um you haven't just because you're good for that you haven't thought about whether someone else is yeah yeah because consent is such a big word that mm. you i i think it's sometimes it's easy to forget how subtle um, it it mm. needs to be, and also just one um, final clip from the event. There were so many great um, moments and thoughts, but this one um, was about whether you need a negative a negative experience in order to create the boundaries you need around yourself. Each of you sort of spoke about identifying and establishing your boundaries and being quite vocal with that. Do you think it's necessary for you to? have a negative experience before to to actually find those boundaries and if not then how do you do that like what are the ways that you actually find them take the, the 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 archetypal privileged person do you know what i mean and how um they would be treated how much they would be paid how people would treat you know what i mean how they would respond to them and um don't lower your own standards, or at least communicate your own your standards on that part. So I don't think you necessarily always have to have um, an instance 
where something has gone wrong in order to find that. I think if you just have enough awareness and you can see what's going on around you, it's you, it, there's no reason for why you shouldn't just grab to what you can see other people have that you don't have. Um, and I would say there's actually, we all kind of need to do that, you know, yeah. to change the system that's in place. I think you, you, you said it. I was, I was going to kind of say, just be informed. It's like having an informed opinion, like, and, and not just falling foul to the idea of, okay, this is what it is. It's like, I've always tried to get as much information as possible on whatever it is I'm trying to tackle. Um, and, and I guess with friends and family, I don't know about like strangers, I don't know how to do it yet, but with friends and family or like closer ones to you, I think like just regular check-ins are like really important. Like we constantly have like a day where everyone is just like open to say, I don't know, because things change and people's boundaries change and being in a, a two different headspaces could give you c completely two different answers. So yeah, just like weekly check-ins to just be like, how's things, is how I'm acting appropriate? And just asking people, if you feel I'm really bad, like when someone withdraws from me, I kind of let them have their space and I don't really like react, I don't know how to deal with it. And recently I've tried to be working on like, have I done something that makes you feel uncomfortable? Because it puts you both at a vulnerable position and someone's more willing to open up to you and explain to you something when you're asking as opposed to having to come to you and say, oh, by the way, this really made me feel uncomfortable. And you can do that vice versa to them. On top of everything that everyone said, because I think it was really, really insightful, um, just kind of gravitate to what brings you joy. And um, that's the kind of flip side, the positive side of it. And practice gratitude as well. So once you start writing like three days, three things a day that you're grateful for, the really like granular detail stuff, um, within a week you'll be able to see the patterns of what it is that brings you joy True. and how you can gravitate more towards that and, and therefore like avoid situations where your boundaries are compromised. I think I do think day to day like there there are always moments, micro moments where our boundaries are like brought into view because of that conflict. That's just l modern life I think. But yeah, I think there are ways to kind of counter that with, with joy. Thank you, Chima, for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. How can people follow you and find your work? Oh, oh my gosh. I'm on, inst I'm on Instagram. Uh, my, my, my handle is yes underscore Chima. No! Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that is it. <laughs> I'm on Instagram. My handle is yes underscore Chima, C-H-I-M-A. And I've got um, a website called Chima, ChimaTheBlog.com. It's got some old stuff and, and some videos in there. But it's still interesting. It's still quite interesting. So, yeah. Cool. Yes. Um, I just wanted to add another th quick thanks to all the guests of the third events. You can find details of where to find them in the bio of this show. Thank you for tuning in to Third Waves and stay tuned online at Third Magazine on Instagram. That's third with three eyes. I'm Rona. I'm Chima. And I'm Daniela.